What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first ever This Madre podcast, episode number one. I'm super excited about this. But before we get going, just a very quick word about our sponsors, about how you might be able to help us keep this beast going, pay for electricity, pay for this camera, this studio. Um, our first sponsor is Fandle. We're doing a promo with them right now. Fandle is weekly sports fantasy league online. It's a lot of fun. You can talk shit, play with your friends, makes football funner, even though it's already kind of fun. Um, but we're doing something special this week where if you join Fandle, put in $10 into an account, and use our promo code DESMADRE, we will actually send you a free DESMADRE.com t-shirt. Yes, free. We will carefully fold that beautifully, me or Juan Yerbas, and put it into a nice little envelope and mail it to you for free. Go to Fandle.com, enter promo code DESMADRE, all caps, and then email us once you put in ten dollars because don't forget that you got to put ten dollars in email us your username to social at desmadre.com and then we will send you a t-shirt to your home it's going to be beautiful if you don't want to deal with Fandle, the next way you can support is just going to our store desmadre.com forward slash store and buy a t-shirt directly from us that's easy too uh we have like number of different t-shirts a few caps all the masa and the power stuff is like 50% off, practically giving it away. So go there now. The Moss and the Power stuff is selling out very quickly. Somebody just came, they, they just took off very quickly, as you could hear, because I don't know why. There's a train now. It's amazing, the community we live in here. Um, the third way you can support us is through Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to become more intimately involved with this madre. I'm not going to tell you a lot about it, but basically it's like a ghetto Netflix where you can chip in a dollar, three dollars, whatever you want a month, and you get inside access to our community. And there's also some top secret prizes like you could get your name in the credits of El Mundo, or you could get a personal shout out in El Mundo every month or something like that. It's really cool. But go check it out. If you're a hardcore fan, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash desmadre and read more about it. Thank you very much, guys. We really appreciate your support. And we hope you enjoy our first podcast episode with Nate Olivares Giles. All right. We're going to go and start Desmadre podcast number one. Number one. The goal of the podcast is to... Uh, try to bring in some folks that we meet along our path who are doing interesting things. Um, we don't really care what you do, whether you're in, <laughs> in music or uh, the arts or journalism, as is the case with our first guest. Um, but we just see there's kind of a need for a podcast like this. Um, with our perspective and we're not really we don't really want to say this is like a latino podcast it's just us basically okay. our perspective if you will we happen to be latino if that's what you want to call us um <laughs> latinx or what, let's not the, go down yeah. that road yeah. 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 that could be a whole other episode yeah. get the tequila out yeah. yeah let's explore our identities yeah. um so yeah we just want to talk to cool people doing cool shit and um uh, yeah, give an opportunity for people working on projects as well um, to maybe have a, a little bit of a reach through the podcast because there's power in that. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, our first guest is Nathan Olivares. I'm going to fuck your 
Giles. Giles. Olivares Giles. Olivares yeah. Giles. Yeah, yeah. So Olivares is my mom. Giles is my dad. All yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Nathan's a journalist and specifically covering tech these days. Yeah, so I'm focused on consumer tech. So basically anything regular people use, you know, not not enterprise stuff. Um, and uh, and I'm primarily a, a reporter. Uh, you know, I'm doing tech news, but I also do like maybe one review a week. I do some video stuff, usually like on camera about once a week. Help oversee our social media, and then occasionally I'll pitch in and help edit uh, stories and columnists and things like that. Yeah, so pretty. Uh, I'm like a little utility infielder. Uh, you know, I just like a Swiss Army knife in the office. Got it. Got it. Yeah. All right, we'll we'll step back a little bit. Um, where, just so people who may be just listening on audio. Yeah. And they think you might be like a 50-year-old guy who's been... Because like, if you hear Wall Street Journal, you're like, oh, this guy must be old or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, if yeah. you're just listening, yeah. oh, you're not going to see. So, what, <laughs> yeah, when, when were you born? Where were you born? Maybe tell us about yeah. your, your, your parents, like, right. you know, your background. Yeah, so uh, I, was, I was born in 1984. I'm 32. Uh, and I was born in Los Angeles, actually. Um, my, my, um, my mom was born in Montebello. My dad was born in Billings, Montana. But he moved around a lot because his his dad was a Lutheran minister, um, but nonetheless, my dad really didn't grow up too 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 religious. Um, it's not his thing. But um, I was born in LA because my dad was trying to be an actor and a singer, and so my mom and my dad actually met in South Phoenix. Um, uh, that's the hood. That's the hood. That's, that's the, hood. the hood. That is yeah. the hood. Yeah. And um, my dad, uh, my dad's white. My mom's Mexican American. My mom's actually Mexican, Mayan, and Yaqui. Yaki's a an uh, indigenous group, Native American group in southern Arizona and, and Sonora. Um, literally, when 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 they drew up that U.S. Mexico border, they drew it like right in the middle of like uh, Yaki people and shit. Um, but yeah, so my dad my dad met my mom in South Phoenix. Um, she was born in L.A. in Montebello, but 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 grew up in South Phoenix. And, what was um, your dad doing in South Phoenix? He was being a poor preacher's kid, <laughs> and um and he was working in a grocery store with uh, with my Theo, with my uncle Danny. And that's how I met my mom. Um, and she thought he was really weird. Like, who's this, you know, tall white guy coming around? And uh, he just kept asking her out. And eventually she said yes, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so it's crazy because <clears throat> my dad, growing up in, in South Phoenix, um, his Spanish is actually better than my mom's. My mom, my mom's Spanish is pretty good. But um, back when my tata was, uh, was growing up in Globe, which is like a mining town in Arizona, um, the t- teachers would literally beat his ass for speaking Spanish and, and students. So when he was raising his kids, it was, uh, he was like, English is more important. So um, now my mom and my dad speak pretty good Spanish, and I'm, st- I'm super hella pocho, you know, trying to get that back. But, um, yeah, kind of interesting well, how that all worked. The club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so my mom and dad met, met there, and my dad wanted to be an actor and a singer. So uh, he moved to L.A. and was working in some Ralph's grocery stores. And uh, my mom and him got married. She moved out there. I was born. And shortly after I was born, um, they're just like, it's way too damn expensive out here. It's not going to work out. So um, my dad gave up on his uh, his dream and uh, and moved to Phoenix. And, and so I pretty much grew up in Phoenix. Nice. Yeah, I moved around a lot. Nice. In Phoenix. Um, when did you... Uh when did your interest in journalism begin? Or well, yeah. yeah, that actually fits into to this growing up thing. Um, <clears throat> so we moved around. Every, I feel like every like three or four years we'd we'd move. Um, 
so I lived in Levine, uh, which is like a little, well, at the time it was a farming community. Um, not so much anymore. Uh, we lived in, in uh, in that's s- our mail. There it is. <laughs> the mail, the mail just dropped. <laughs> in you wondering what that was. Like. <laughs> uh, I lived in South Phoenix, West Phoenix, um, uh, Tempe. My mom went to Arizona State University when I was in middle school. And, um, and then in high school, so let's see here. How, how you, so my dad, uh, you know, worked in grocery stores. Um, he eventually was able to get into the State Department of Transportation, and he helped on some civil engineering projects and worked there for a while. And they had this thing where um, they would basically pay for some of their employees to learn how to, how to write code and uh, do software development. And um, so my dad learned how to how to write some code. I think it was like C and C plus plus at the time. And uh, my parents got divorced um, about about the time when he was when he was learning that stuff. So um, <clears throat> I was like in elementary school. So what that led to for my family uh, was some some genuine social mobility. I guess you could say my mom went off into to college, went to Arizona State, put herself through school. And then my dad um, became a computer programmer and like was like you know, a freelancer or whatever. So he ended up starting a software company with, uh, with another guy named Anir Bindas. And uh, they're still good friends and still work together. And what that led to was <clears throat> uh, us getting out of the hood, basically. My dad got a, a nice house in like a middle-class suburb of Phoenix, uh, it's still in South Phoenix, but it's on the other side of South Mountain. It's called Ahwatukee. Um, so I've lived on both sides of South Mountain. But um, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Desert Vista High School. Yeah, which is out there in Ahwatukee. So, so after growing up, basically mostly in the hood, mostly around brown and black kids and uh, Native American kids, um, folks like myself. Suddenly, I was in a predominantly white high school, um, which, you know, my dad's white, so I was used to white people, but <laughs> it was still it was still like a culture clash because, you know, it's it's I guess it's different when when my dad's, you know, the white person uh, in a in a Mexican, uh, you know, uh, or family uh, gathering or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, you know, high school, I moved to this like um, uh, to Awatuki, And when people would ask where I was from. I would tell them, you know, oh, you know, I lived in I lived in South Phoenix, I lived in West Phoenix, I lived in Tempe, and basically uh, people would just like shit on where I was from. They would just, you know, clown on it, you know, the ghetto and all that stuff, and um, that really pissed me off, to be honest. Uh, and uh, there was this story in the Phoenix New Times, uh, which is an alternative weekly out there, and it was written by this guy Chris Farnsworth, who now writes like a series of books about vampires and the Secret Service or something like that. Um, <laughs> The perfect, that's just natural, natural uh, combination there. Yeah, but at the time he was a, at the time he was a journalist and uh, he was a crime reporter. He's a really good dude, and I, I I talk to him on the internet every once in a while. I haven't actually met him in person, but he wrote this story uh, called Crackdown. I guess it was the name of the was the was the headline, and it was about um, some police officers who were working West Phoenix, um, w- you know, where I lived uh, for quite a while, and where I still go back to when I go back to Phoenix to see some of my family. And uh, it was cool because this story talked about both like the good and the bad in, in West Phoenix, in Maryvale, um, where I used to live. And uh, it specifically mentioned some, some police officers, um, you know, uh, one who lost a partner, uh, whose partner was killed. And um, they basically were trying to address gang violence um, by working with people in the community. 
um, you know, predominantly Latino community. So uh, I saw this and I just thought it was super dope because it was both the good and the bad. And, you know, to that point, I'd always love to tell stories. I'd always love to read and, and I was writing, but it was like drawing like little comics and throwing out to my homies or like trying to like freestyle battle rap and shit. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? You had the rap phase. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. I went through all the elements of hip hop learning that I didn't do any of them quite as well as I would have liked. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was cool. I just saw that and I was like, I could do that. That's dope. So, um, when I got into college, um, I started out at Mesa Community College and I transferred to the University of Arizona in Tucson. I uh, I thought, well, you know, what, 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 what do I want to study? I, you know, I, I'm good at math and I like cars and I like to draw maybe mechanical engineering, maybe get an auto design. Um, I want to learn more about myself and my culture. So Mexican-American studies was there uh, as well. And then I thought, well, you know, journalism sounds cool. I should give that a shot. I think I could do that. But I don't really need to study journalism to be a journalist, right? So I actually started out studying mechanical engineering. Then I switched to business. I had Mexican-American studies. And then I was living, um, I was basically like making like little hip hop zines uh, to, to partly to get into rap shows for free because I was hella broke and uh, and also to just try journalism to see if I liked it and, and if I could, you know, write uh, at all. And, uh, uh, as, you know, my ego was pretty high, so I thought my shit was super fly and I was <laughs> like making like the best zines ever, but um, really nobody was reading them or anything like that. And uh, I had to like, a, basically, there was like- What was the name of your zine? Well, I actually started out with this other guy's zine. It was called, um, I think it was called The Soup or something like that. Um, what was that reference to? Or, you know what? Soup. I can't. <laughs> we fucking love soup. I can't we just, even remember. We just ate soup all the fucking time. I can't even remember. It was this dude Andy who was a DJ down there. Uh, I can't even remember. And then, um, yeah. So I basically started with him, and we had, would have to like reassemble crews like every every couple of issues or something like that because nobody was like really about it the way that we were. Uh, and then, uh, and then I just like you know put out a couple zines myself um i just called them underground because it was like a predominantly underground like like no really big rappers were coming through at the time but you had like lots of great folks like immortal technique came through and brother ali so it was super cool so yeah i was doing that and then i went and lived in zacatecas for a summer in jerez de garcia salinas um with some family to try and improve my spanish and also just to like get to know mexico a little bit better and and uh have some fun so i lived there for a summer and my, my Spanish actually got pretty decent toward the end of summer. Um, I'm falling out of practice since then. But I was blogging about what I was doing. I had a I had a blog, uh, blogspot blog called Keeping a Gangster in the Motherland. And uh, my mom and my girlfriend at the time were like the only ones reading it. But I was like writing every day and I was taking photos and I was just like, this is this is what I love to do. This is what I'm doing for fun. Like, why am I fucking around with these other majors, you know, um, that I'm not as interested in, except for Mexican-American studies. I, I love that. But um so I, I called the the counselor, uh, the the journalism school counselor from there, and I was like, "Hey, I want to be a journalism major." This dude named Paul Johnson, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, you have like way more math and science than you need. Like, it's not even a problem." So I started there, and that's that's how I got my start, I guess, officially in journalism. And then I, you know, applied and failed a couple times to get hired by my college newspaper. It took me a minute, but uh, I eventually got in there, and 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 that's that was the start of a trajectory or whatever, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I. Did you ever struggle with, because I've always had an interest in journalism, like, I, when I was in middle, I'm older than you, I'm like 39, well, I'm yeah. about to be 39. Yeah. <clears throat> when I was in middle school, I had like a subscription to Newsweek, 
Okay. I was like, <laughs> I love like current events, which is one of the reasons why I think we do El Mundo. I like, yeah. I've always just like to keep up with politics and current events and stuff. Um, and when I was in high school, and even going into college, you know, I thought maybe this was something. But I, one of the things I struggled with was that I this kind of perception, or it's just me thinking as a journalist, you're not a participant in what's actually happening. You're an observer. Yeah. Did you ever struggle with that? or? Well, you know what? That's, that's funny you bring that up because um, as I was doing journalism in college, I was in, um, you know, working in my college paper. I was interning at this place, the Arizona Daily Star, covering crime. And, uh, and I would have like one page uh, that I would get to fill every Thursday about the south side of Tucson, which is also the hood. It's also predominantly Latino. And, um, and that was huge for me, um, and I really felt really good about the work I was doing, but I was also a member of Mecha, uh, which is a Chicano student group um, that focuses on like immigrants' rights and um, basically just helping kids get into school and get into college. Um, and in Arizona, growing up in Phoenix, when I left Phoenix, I had like a real uh, love-hate relationship with it because um, I was just getting fucked with by the cops. Um, basically since I was in middle school and uh I felt a lot of uh kind of anger and um and just like super oppressed um and I just needed to get out of Phoenix um and so I was you know I was doing some activism stuff in college um a lot of it was centered around you know getting people to vote a lot of it was centered around getting kids you know into college uh and and a lot of it was also um, trying to fight things like, um, you know, SB 1070 and, and Papers, Please type laws and... Um, Joe Arpaio. Yeah, a lot of... Yeah, there was some anti-Arpaio stuff at the time as well. Um, and um, my mom actually took me to Mecha meetings when she was at Arizona State University. So when I was in middle school, I was going to Mecha meetings with her. And I actually started a chapter... I helped start a chapter of Mecha in high school, too. Um basically getting together like what few brown folks there were, you know. Um, and one of the things I saw when I was doing the activism side stuff was that it was really easy for people to write us off um, because it felt like to me they just saw us and they're like, well, there's just some angry Chicanos or, you know, there, you know, there's just, you know, there's just Mecha or whatever. And I didn't think that was fair. I, you know, I thought we had something to say and, and should be listened to. And, um, and on the other side, you know, uh, I just felt like what I liked about journalism, what I liked about this idea, and going back to that story in the New Times that I like so much, is just kind of looking at all as many perspectives as possible. You can't ever really get the full story in, in just one article um, or maybe even one, one journalist's career. But um, I like that idea of trying to get as many different perspectives inside as possible. And, you know, giving a voice to, to, to some of the people who, who, who disagree with you and maybe you think are wrong sometimes too. Um, now, I think oftentimes in journalism, uh, I think you can look at some of the stuff that's happening right now with, with, with Trump running for president. Soledad O'Brien just called it out um, not too long ago. Basically, I think there's like such a desire to, 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 to show balance that sometimes you give voice to people, uh, give a voice to people who, who, who don't deserve one. That can happen too, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that, that being white supremacists and shit like that, um, who are talking on CNN and, and feeling empowered and, and emboldened, which is terrifying, um, in some respects, but, um, I, I liked that idea. And so, so, you know, in, in, in a way I do miss being a participant, uh, in a lot of social, social movements I care about. 
uh, and a lot of communities that I care about. But for for what I'm for what I'm trying to do, you know, I well, you know, frankly put, I think there needs to be a balance, right? We need people in the streets. We need people who are organizing and protesting and doing the activist work, right? We we need people who are in the mainstream, um, who who are in the media and in the newsrooms. So just that, when these things do get covered, they don't get covered from a really terrible um, and and unfair perspective, and um, so. Yeah, I think I think like the idea that I had about it was actually immature, because really looking at the bigger picture, you are a participant. Yeah. Right. As a journalist. Yeah. You know, so to think like, oh, I'd rather be participating as opposed to observing or whatever, and and you really in the bigger picture, the media is one of the pillars of the system, if you will. Yeah, it it should be right. I mean, yeah. it's it's there to keep the powers that be at check to yeah. a certain extent, and it's there to, you know, the way I see it is is hopefully if if I'm doing my job right. If, if we're doing our job right, um, then we're letting people know what's going on so they can make their own decisions. And hopefully if we're giving them the right information, they'll make the best decisions possible, right? So if we're leaving important parts of, the, of our own stories out, we're screwing ourselves. Um, and, and when I say that, we, I just mean like, you know, Americans or whatever, right? So, um, you know, there have been countless examples where Latinos are left out of that story. I'm not writing about Latinos on a daily basis now. I'm writing about, you know, gadgets and apps and, you know, virtual reality headsets and, you know, privacy issues and 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 recalls of phones and all sorts of stuff. But um, but, you know, um, there there's just too many of us. Um, there's just too many Latinos in the country, uh, too many people of color uh, to to not to not be in newsrooms like we need to be there and even if it's even if you're in a, in a position where you're not you know um covering your community directly um i think i think there needs to be more of us in there so i, I think it's a balance you know um but yeah i do miss that sometimes yeah you know yeah was was um was there ever a time it sounds like you had to make a decision at some point to be like i have this is what i'm going to study i'm going to major in and yeah. certainly around that time if it was like the early to mid 2000s um, the rise of citizen journalism yeah. was accelerating, yeah. and uh, certainly a lot of people were empowered to the point where maybe they thought a journalism degree was no longer necessary. Um, what do you what What is it that really like made you decide to do this to to take that jump and and what do you see like in the industry yeah. like how is the journalism uh, degree valued? <laughs> you know what? It's I don't know, man. I mean, like it was just what I enjoyed doing the most, yeah. and I felt like if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, you know, I think college is a wonderful thing. I'd like to see more people go, um, you know, especially from my own family, especially from from the Latino community. Um, uh, but there's no point in going if you're not going to get something out of it. You know, like the piece of paper is important in some instances but it, but what's more important i think is is what is what you get out of it who you meet and and kind of kind of kind of you know you got to be selfish um to a certain extent so i was i was doing journalism i was loving it i wanted to devote myself to it and be serious about it and so the best way for me to do that that i knew how was to surround myself with as many journalists as possible and so being in the journalism department you know almost every day um, you know, working in my college newspaper, getting internships, all that stuff. That's that's the only way I knew how to surround myself. It's like it's like I wanna I wanna be that. So how do I do that? I gotta I gotta surround myself with those people, right? So 
um you know when i was trying to uh you know uh freestyle uh rap and stuff like that in high school um you know i would hang out with my buddies who were doing that you know what i'm saying we get together to do that when i was trying to play baseball uh uh albeit um ineffectively you know i i went and you know play catch every day you know so you just got to surround yourself with the people who are doing what you want to do so you don't need a journalism degree to, to be a journalist. You don't need a computer science degree to be a computer programmer. Um, my dad uh, just got a degree, I think, like two years ago. Um, it was his, his first uh, college degree, and he did it online. Um, you know, he didn't didn't need it, but he wanted to do that, right? So, I think in any instance, there are there are ways to to get to where you want to in a non traditional path, but. Since I was in college and I did want to do something, um, then I wanted to get something out of it. This this was for me, and like I said, it took me a while to figure that out. Right? Um, I think in journalism, what's more important than anything is really where you've worked and 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 the examples of work that you have to show that you're about it. Right? Your body of work. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I don't think most news organizations care if you have a degree in journalism or political science or anthropology or, you know, um, basket weaving or whatever it is, right? But, um, you know, what are the stories that you've told? What have you done? Where have you been, right? Um, so I think those are more important. But for me, it was just being surrounding myself with people who were doing what I want to do and then just going and bugging the hell out of them and just being like, hey, like, you've been where I want to be to go you've had a career like how do I do this you know give me feedback hear my ideas what am I not thinking about who have I not talked to that I should be talking to um you know where should I pitch this idea uh how do I get ahead here um you know thinking everything from reporting to just how to craft a story and and you know how do I tell a story for a mainstream audience and still maintaining like a sense of voice or 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 you know whatever um I mean these are all things I'm still working on to this day and I'm like eight years in my career, but, um, that's just the way that I, that's the only way I knew how to do it, you know, that I could think of at the time anyways. Sure. So coming out of, uh, of, uh, University of Arizona, what was your first gig or what, how did you, what's the path that led you to yeah. Wall Street? Um, I think I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Um, there's this thing at the LA Times, uh, called MetPro and it's a program that's, uh, created, there's not many like it in the country, but it's basically created to hire people. Well, originally it was is to diversify the newsroom, to get more people of color, more women into the newsroom. And it was started a few decades ago. And um, it still does that, but I think now to a certain extent, it's also about getting young people into the newsroom. Um, and and uh, maybe it's become a little less focused on, on diversity as it used to be, um, but I think it's still a component. Um, but basically there was this recruiter, his name was Randy Hagihara, I used to see him in L.A. Um, at this journalism, the, the California Chicano News Media Association, CCNMA, um, had this uh, journalism opportunities conference that they do once a year and uh, in, in L.A. And some journalism professors at the U of A would get us together in a van and we'd drive out there and then we'd spend like a day talking to recruiters and showing them our stuff. So the first time I went, I all I had was uh, my, my like photographed uh, hip hop zines. And so this dude, Randy Hagihara from the LA Times, he was just like, this is terrible. Like, you're, you, you don't look like you're serious about journalism at all. Like, what the hell is this, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, this is, this is gold, you know? <laughs> like, this is great, you know? What are you talking about? So he's like, if you're serious about it, go work at your college newspaper. So uh, I applied a couple times to get, get hired at the Daily Wildcat. I didn't get hired. I thought about actually going and starting my own, like, super Chicano-like newspaper. Um, and I actually had, like, one of my early mentors tell me, like, 
calm down, like work within the system. Like, you know, you'll have time to start your own stuff later on if you want to yeah. do that. But at this point, it's more productive for you just to go work at the Wildcat. Sure. So eventually I had, I had a homie who was an editor there and he eventually like convinced people like Nate's a good guy. Like we should actually give him a shot. So I was like a reporter and a photo editor there and a cartoonist for a while too. And nice. um, so then the next year I went back to LA and I saw Randy and I said, hey, Randy, you probably don't remember me, but I got clips and look at here, these new stories I wrote. <laughs> I threw my zines away. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically, right? <laughs> you know, I'm no longer militant. <laughs> I bought into the system, right? Randy. And Randy's like, eh, I don't remember you at all, but this looks good. Um, you know, you're a nice start. He's like, get an internship. So I was like, all right. So I, uh, you know, I went to all my professors um, and I said, I need an internship. You know, that's the next step. And, uh, I was I was blessed to get an internship at the Arizona Daily Star, and I was covering crime on uh, Sunday and Monday uh, nights. And then, um, what did that entail on a on a? It was cool. literally like on a physical daily basis. What did you have to do during that internship? Well, on Sunday and Monday nights, basically, I would go into at the time it was the Tucson Police uh, Headquarters in downtown Tucson. They had a little office for the press. They called the cop shop, and it was. Uh, basically like I think there was like four desks in there and there would be reporters from the Arizona Daily Star and reporters from Tucson Citizen uh, the two the two newspapers in town and um, we would just sit in there and write crime stories and uh, it was super helpful because if we needed something we could literally just like get up and go talk to a public information officer basically the the PR folks for the police department yeah. and then you know if we wanted to file public records requests we can like hand them in in person all stuff um, and uh, so that required me going to the cop shop, checking in with my editors, you know, seeing what's going on, uh, listening to, you know, the police scanner, um, and then occasionally driving out to, to crime scenes, um, you know, uh, shootings, uh, you know, there was some, some car chases that ended in accidents and people died and things like that. Um, and uh, just kind of whatever would come up, right? Uh, so I was, you know, the night cops reporter uh, two nights a week. And, um, that was actually awesome, uh, because, you know, it's, I feel like crime reporting to a certain extent is like a foundational thing for any other type of reporting you want to do, because you basically have to write concisely and quickly. And then you have to deal with, frankly, uh, people who don't want to give you information. And so even though we were in the Tucson police department, uh, they didn't want to tell us anything and they didn't want to share anything with us. So, um, you know, early on, it's, I think it was a good experience for me to, to deal with people who, who I had to push against in a respectful way um, and, and then learn how to file like a public records request and, and basically like use the, you know, the law to like get us access to information. Um, uh, th but that was a blast. And that's, that's also when I got to write those stories about the South side of Tucson. So on like Fridays, I'd go into a different bureau and work with editors on, on what my, my stories would be. Um, I basically had like two stories to fill that page every day. Uh, every you know every Thursday so um, yeah that so that that's that's how that started I, is know. there any any piece that you were like particularly proud of from that first internship like uh, yeah no nah, there are a few um, dang uh, there are a few there was there was actually um, there was this one guy it's just funny I mean it's not even like a like an amazing story or anything but it's just like a weird thing there was this guy I forget his name um, but he would put this big, like fake heart on his head and he called himself Dr. Love Dub and he dressed up like a doctor and he'd go out to, um, he'd go out to the, to the, to the Pascual Yaki reservation and he'd run with kids and he would just get them to run. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there's like a lot of obesity issues among for youth in the country in general, but especially um, in native communities. And um, he was just like this old, old dude who just really believed in this. And like he wasn't a doctor or anything like that, but he just he's like, I got to get these kids off their asses. And um, this is what I'm going to do. And to run in the Arizona sun, man, in like 110, 115 degree weather uh, with a bunch of kids who have way more energy than than any adult wearing that big ass uh i mean it was like it was like i think it was polyester and like cardboard and stuff and um the kids loved it i mean they were like in kindergarten first second grade who's trying to get them started hella early and they loved it and it was super cool and I, I went out there with a few days with them and i just thought it was super cool for someone to to give so much of themselves uh I, they had popsicles and stuff so the kids like wouldn't like pass out or whatever <laughs> And uh, these kids were like trying to offer me popsicles and I had to say no because in journalism, you're not really supposed to take anything for free. I mean, you can kind of take things for free if it's like free to everybody. Sure. But in general, you're not supposed to take free stuff. Um, like now when I review gadgets and stuff, we can we can take them on loan, but we have to send them back. And sure. if companies don't want them, we have to donate them and stuff. But um, I was just like trying to be like super stringent on like my... Uh, ethics and all stuff so I, like, yeah so i told, so I told these <laughs> no, like no young man i cannot have this popsicle <laughs> yeah, and they were so bummed out about it they were so like why can't you have the popsicle and i was like it's ethics it's just so, so stupid um and then there was a story i wrote about um some gluten-free cooking classes uh, that that uh, that a lady did um and what, what 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 tripped me out about that was that was actually a story on the north side of tucson uh, this woman was doing gluten-free because she had celiac disease. She actually had a genuine like medical reason to not take gluten, right? And so she had these gluten cooking classes. I I, uh, I uh, wrote a story about it, and then I saw one of her friends, one of the people who was there at that class, a couple weeks later, because one of my homegirls was working. My friend Nicole, she was working at a grocery store, and uh, I was in the back in, this, in Nicole's break room, just chopping it up with her. And uh, this lady came in. And she's like, oh, I recognize you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, you know, how's it going? Uh, I, wrote, I wrote that story about your friend. She's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. And she, like, swore that I was, like, one of the dudes who worked in her yard. Um, <laughs> and I just remember that just being like, this is the biggest bullshit. I mean, because, you know, listen, I'm a brown dude. You know, I think you see me, you see, you see a brown guy. But I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know. So I was just like, you know, what? You know, so um, I remember that. There were a couple things that stood out. But, um. You know, did you save like your first, you know, clip like uh, that was your first like true? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I used to save all those things, man. I used to actually clip them out of the newspaper. Well, because at the time when you would want to get a job or an internship, you would actually take your little newspaper clips, then you would photocopy them and then you would give a copy of that to people and they'd actually look at your clips on paper. Then then eventually, you know, sometimes sometimes people still do that. But now you pretty much send links. Yeah. And and uh, so I, I used to keep all that stuff. Um, I think there's a box full of some of them in my brother's house in Tempe, but um, I don't keep any of that stuff anymore. Um, I basically have like PDFs and links of stories I'm proud of, and they're like you know on a hard drive I haven't looked at in a few years. Um, but uh, but no, I you know I don't ha I I don't know if I have any of that. I think there's like a box of some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was. That so you was, went you went there. from the internship there to to the LA Times. So I went I went back, and so. I also started a chapter of, helped start uh, with my friend Victoria, a chapter of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists uh, in college. And um, um, there's this thing that the NHJ does called the Student Journalism Institute. And basically the New York Times works with NHJ and the National Association of Black Journalists 
uh, to put on what is a journalism boot camp like once a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the year after I started this chapter, they were doing the institute at the University of Arizona, my college. So um, some folks came by to kind of take a look at the campus and I just like introduced myself and I was like, hey, you know, like I'm one of the founders. I'm going to apply to this thing. Even if I don't get in, like I'm going to be hanging out I'm gonna be pressing my face against the window. I'll be sweeping floors, whatever it is. But there's no way the New York Times is coming to my school and I'm not going to be around you guys, you know. So luckily I, I, I applied and I got in and um, I think um, that 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 boot camp was huge um, for me. There's this guy named Brent McDonald uh, who was a videographer there. And all I'd done at that point was writing and I wanted to do video, too. And um, I just basically hung out with him like the whole the whole week and just try to absorb as much as I could. And um, and he really put me through the paces and taught me a lot. And um, it was great. And uh, so then I was, you know, about to graduate. I applied for man, I must apply for like 25, 30 different internships and jobs across the country. And I was feeling pretty high about myself. Like I had this really good internship at the Daily Star. I actually interned there for like a year and a half. I had like back to back to back internships. I, um, you know, I, I, I uh, did this New York Times Student Journalism Institute. I uh, won a couple little awards in college or whatever. So my ego was pretty high. I felt pretty good. And then I didn't get any of those internships. I didn't get any of those jobs, man. I got nothing. You were coming into probably one of the worst climates for <laughs> journalism in the yeah. history of the press. <laughs> it, was, it was good, though. It was, it was a nice way to kind of humble humble yeah. myself a little bit and be like, all right, you're not as dope as you thought you were, maybe. You know, calm it down there. But um, it was good, man. And um, so what ended up happening was um, uh, basically Brent put in a good word for me at the New York Times. And, uh, and I got an internship at the New York Times shooting and editing video with them for a summer. So like of, of it's kind of crazy because of all the internships I could have applied to, like that would be the one I would want the most. Right. And I didn't think that would be the one I would get. And then after I got turned down from all these other ones, he's like, hey, you know, if you're still interested and uh, and he kind of saved my ass. Um, and then uh, I was talking to Randy Hagihara, that recruiter I saw in L.A. Uh, from the L.A. Times. And I would just I like started emailing him like once a month for like the last six months before I graduated. And I just say, hey, here's a story I did. Here's this thing I read in the, the L.A. Times. Like, how'd you guys put that together? And just trying to make sure I was on his radar. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to apply for this MetPro program. And if I don't get hired, that's cool. But I want it to be because I'm like not good enough, not because you don't know who I am. So uh, he was he was all right with that. And um, as soon as I got that New York Times internship, I called him up and I was like, hey, I'm going to be intern at the New York Times. And I think I think that I think that helped. I think they were really impressed by that. And um, so I did that first summer, and then I started at the LA Times and MetPro that sep- September of 2008. And uh, and yeah, it, then I was uh, at the LA Times. I was a crime reporter. I was uh, basically like a data journalist, doing like investigative projects and putting together databases of public records. And then I was a business reporter, and that's how I got into tech reporting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So the LA Times was my first actual real job. Got it. You mentioned earlier um, NAHGA. Yeah. And um, it's the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. You got it. Um, what, what do you think the importance of that is? I know there's a little bit of, uh, I know there's some criticism this year from, uh, what's his name? Uh, fucking, uh, dude, where's a bow tie? Oh, yeah. Um, Carson? No, what the fuck is his yeah, name? Tucker something. Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Didn't he like? Because I know um, at your, at your national uh, convention convention this year, Hillary went and spoke. Yep. And um, there was a little bit of criticism on behalf of uh, some uh, national journalists who said, you know, what is the purpose of having this sort of organization? 
So maybe you can talk about that. I don't, I don't know, you know. Yeah, well, we faced a couple. There was that criticism, and then there was also another criticism because, um, so the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and the National Association of Black Journalists put on a conference um, in Washington, D.C. and uh, this year, and Hillary Clinton came and spoke, and um, there was some criticism because there was some applause uh, during Clinton's speech. And then afterwards, um, some of our members from both organizations asked, asked questions, and I, I was pretty proud of them because I thought they asked some pretty tough questions, which is pretty good. And uh, she hadn't spoken to a room of journalists, uh, to multiple journalists at once in more than 200 days. So I felt like that was a nice little streak to break as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I think... I think the um, I think the if you just look at the 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 diversity numbers in journalism, I think that that answers why a group like the National Association of Hispanic Journalists needs to exist. So we've been around for about 31 years, and we've done lots of conferences, we've done lots of uh, professional training, lots of scholarships. I think you know, I think you can just look at me and my career. If NHJ didn't exist. And this New York Times Student Journalism Institute didn't exist. You know, would I have gotten that job at the LA Times? I don't know. Would I have gotten that internship at the New York Times? Probably not. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, those things helped uh, skyrocket my career. You know, I, I wanted to stay and work at the Arizona Daily Star in Tucson. And uh, they're like, we can't we can't hire you. We don't have the money to hire you. Um, and uh, they wanted to, but they couldn't. And, um, you know, uh, I got turned down from all those other opportunities, right? The only reason I got that that New York Times internship was because I had someone I worked with who knew what I was about and knew my hustle and was willing to vouch for me. And um, and um, so, I, you know, I don't think my career would be what it is uh, without NHJ. Now, that being said, of all the good things I think NHJ does and that we do, and I'm, I'm on the board of directors, um, so, you know, I am speaking from a position of some bias because obviously I believe in this thing, right? Um, but of all the good stuff we do and people like myself who might not be here otherwise without it, the number of, um, of, uh, of Latinos in U.S. newsrooms overall has increased, uh, I think it's like less than, uh, I think it's like less than 5% in that 31-year period. Um, so simply put, um, uh, this change isn't going to happen if we don't push for it, right? We're not going to get more people of color in newsrooms if we don't push for it. And we, I mean, like people of color, um, you know, I think there are some, I think there are lots of, um, white people who believe in diversity. And I think there are lots of white people who want to see more diverse newsrooms and want to see women and people of color and, uh, you know, LGBT folks and folks from different diverse uh, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and things like that. But you know what? We've had 31 years to, to see where that could, where, where that, how that could change. And there's been lots of rhetoric and lots of talk and lots of news organizations saying that they believe in these things. And the changes are minuscule. Yeah. Uh, they're laughably small. Uh, so, um, you know, if, if, if we didn't exist and we weren't putting pressure on that to change, we might not even have what minuscule stuff we have. What is um, the, um, the argument, the criticism against it exactly? Like what is, 
it's just like a, it's just like a, you know, why does there need to be an affinity group? You know, why do you, it's, it's too exclusive. It's just for Latinos. It's not mm -hmm. for anybody else. The fact of the matter is anybody can be a member. Mm -hmm. And um, we actually have had folks who are members of NHJ and NABJ who got into the New York Times Student Journalism Institute who weren't black or Latino, mm -hmm. um, who are white, who are Asian. And um, you know what? Like we're looking, we're looking for, uh, we're looking for those allies, right? If you, if you are about, um, more Latinos in newsrooms, be a member of NHJ. You know, we'd love to have you. If you're, you know, I'm a member of NABJ. I'm a member of the Asian American Journal Association. I'm also a member of the Native American Journal Association. I'm part Yaki. Um, I'm part of all those groups because I believe in all of those folks getting, and we're all trying to chase the same thing, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, the criticism's there. Um, I think the criticism is bullshit, um, you know? <laughs> but, but I think it's, but I think it's, it's BS that, um, you know, when you look at diversity numbers and you hear companies say they believe in diversity, it doesn't exist. Um, now, there have been a lot, a lot of newsrooms as well recently um, that have released some data that show that there are pay gaps between um, people in newsrooms that tie to gender and race. Uh, and this is currently happening at Dow Jones, um, which is the parent company of the Wall Street Journal as well. Um, the uh, the union for reporters um, at Dow Jones put out some data, and I think it's something like 10, 20 years, the, the pay gaps per persist. They're basically the same every year. Um, uh, the same thing, I think, happened at the Washington Post and some other newsrooms. Um, you know, maybe things are systematic, maybe they're not. But when you look at the data and the gaps are the same year after year after year after year, or you look at the data on diversity of newsroom newsrooms and, you know, it's barely moving an inch. Um, it just, I think it goes to show you that um, these changes aren't going to happen on their own. You got to, you got to ask for them. You got to push for them. And there's a, there's a way to do it respectfully and so that nobody gets, gets hurt in the process. But um, you know, if we don't push for it, who the hell is man? You know? Yeah. It seems to me that Sammy and I have talked about this whether it's in entertainment or in tech, you know, it's an issue across, most industries, yeah. pretty much all industries. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's an issue across all industries, I would say. And um, for me, like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a member of Nalib. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really an active member. Honestly, I've only been a member for a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I've been, uh, like, in, in college, I was a member of Mecha, mm -hmm. you know, and I've been involved in a lot of these groups. And... I personally have like a little bit of a sense of frustration with these groups just because I feel like um, they can be they they sometimes tend to be just kind of like social like network gatherings oh, yeah. and stuff like that which is good you know it's good to get to know everybody um, but then I, I start to feel like okay like what's actually coming of this right and mm -hmm. it sounds like you have a little bit of frustration because okay you guys have existed for 31 years and there's only this much progress yeah you're not totally to blame obviously but um there's only i think i feel like i've gotten to the point where i feel like there's only so much you can do from the outside yeah and a lot of times these groups just their existence like we've talked about the controversy this year can breed a little bit of pushback yeah right yeah and so I'm kind of like, well, you know, you're working within a large organization, and I think that's where the power lies. Yeah. I feel like at the end of the day, you have to just be like as good as you can yourself at whatever you're doing yeah. and try to move up 
yeah. within these ranks. Well, you know what? I think, I, like I said before, I think I think you need both, right? I yeah. think it goes back to that that the, the stuff we were talking about earlier. But with, I'm just like, that. okay, like how do I spend my energy on a daily like basis? Or you know, I think that's the best question. Is 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 I only have when I wake up in the morning, I only have so much energy before I got to go to sleep or before I die or whatever the hell happens <laughs> that day, right? Yeah. So, granted, given that I have only so much energy. Yeah. What can I put it towards? So um, the, the things in the world that we can control are so, so small. Right. They're largely right. like how we react to things, right? right? I can control how you feel about me. I can control whether you like me or not. I can control whether uh, we agree on the same thing or not. But, but how, how we react to one another, um, we can control that, right? Um, so if someone's coming at me in a positive way or a hostile way, how, how I react, that's, that's basically the only control I have, right? Um, so... So it's like, where do you want to put your energy? Um, you know, right now I'm putting my energy as a tech reporter at the Wall Street Journal. It's a, I've learned a ton there. It's a beautiful place to be. I work with, you know, brilliant colleagues. Um, you know, you're putting your energy towards decimaladay.com, right? Um, so I'm working within the mainstream, like a big traditional newsroom. And, and arguably, you're on the outside, right? And you're like an independent you know, uh, thing. Um, I think both of those things need to exist and we need to be in both places, right? If we were just doing just the side stuff and just doing the independent stuff and we had no representation in the mainstream, that would be a problem. And I think if we were just in the mainstream, but we had nothing of our own, that would also be a problem, right? So, so you know, I think we need people like myself who are working for, you know, the Rupert Murdochs of the world. And then I think we need some Latino Rupert Murdochs of the world, you know? Um, now, I mean Rupert Murdoch in like the business sense, not necessarily the the, the political sense, but um, you know, I think we need those things. And you know what? I'd love to see that we could get to a point someday where there are enough Latinos who are at that level, where that we have some people who are Rupert Murdoch in the political sense, uh, as well as you know the left leaning and the whatever. You know, um, uh, there's so many of us that we are mainstream, but we don't see ourselves as mainstream because we don't see ourselves on television. We don't see ourselves you know, in the bylines, whatever. Um, and, and to a certain extent, I think, um, our community sometimes, um, and not just us, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, minority communities, we don't necessarily realize the power that we have together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that that ends up in us just basically being essentially just consumers of things rather than like mobilizing. Right. So, I mean, just look at the presidential election. Like, no one's going to get elected without the Latino vote. Like, they keep saying that. They pretty much know that. And if we show up in full force, like, that'll definitely be the truth, right? But, um, you know, how much do we actually believe that? And how much are we actually acting on that? And then how are we trying to use that? You know, are we, are we actually pushing that and saying, you're not going to get elected without us, so here's what we want and here's what we need, right? And it's tough. I mean, it's, you know, uh, Latinos are not one thing. Um, you know, they, they vary from, you know, from, from the Bay Area to L.A., much less from, you know, California to Arizona to, you know, Boricua in New York and Dominicana and, you know, Cubanos in Florida and all this stuff. So, um, but I think, I think it's all about where you put your energy and, and what, what you want it to be. And, and I think, you know, we need people who are doing an independent route. And I think we need people who are working within organizations that exist and the power structures that be as well. You need both. Yeah. Yeah. I, what, what's been cool to me is as um, as much as it sucks getting old um, <laughs> uh, and seemingly becoming a little more irrelevant as you get older. Um, 
what's really cool, I think, is seeing contemporaries in positions of power and, um, you know, impacting change in a quiet way. Yeah, you know, because I think when you're younger, you try to you think like you you think change comes from noise, yeah. from making noise, you know, <laughs> and you think you gotta like you know raise hell or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had that moment. Sure. <laughs> so there's a tendency in that direction, but um, and and it's not to say that this is just happening like now with our generation, but I think within every generation, um, you know, when people get to that, you know, it, it seems to me like it it starts to happen when you're in your late 30s early 40s yeah. when you start like if you're in a big organization and you start managing people or you're in a position of power um you know i have several friends like that my sister is on the texas you know state board of education yeah, she's huge. one of 13 people in the state yeah. who's, you know and my wife works you know i'm not going to say where she works but she works within a large organization impacting yeah. like you know very large changes um with, with regards to hr and stuff and so i hear these stories or I see that happening, and then I see a lot of frustration from the outside, and I'm I'm kind of more like now I'm like older. I'm just like just chill. Yeah. Not not that like people, you know. I don't, I don't say that because I think people always have to raise hell. For sure. But it's cool, and I think a lot of change ends up really happening when people not so much buy into the system, but you just say like, all right, like I'm here. Yeah. I can I can use the system to make a much larger change than you might be able to make. Yeah. Outside of it. Well, yeah. One of the things we're trying to push for in NHJ right now is is not just getting people hired into newsrooms, but getting people into editing positions, getting people into management positions, getting people so that they can hire other folks. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, if we if we never make that that leap, which traditionally we haven't um, uh, historically uh, in, in high numbers, um, then 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 that's that's a huge problem. Right. Uh, we need to be in those positions as well. Um, so you're you're totally right. Um, and that's and that's a beautiful thing to see. Um, I you know I think I think uh, I had a professor who said you have to go through Malcolm before you can get to Martin. Uh, so you got to go with the, like like you know that yeah. like any means necessary that yeah. you know burn shit down. You know like let's just start yeah. over before you can get to that. Like okay, I'm gonna work with you. I'm gonna love you too, even though you're hating on me. And we're gonna do this together in a little more peaceful process, right? Um, and I think I think that's probably true uh, to a certain extent. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, we need to be in those positions uh, uh, where we can actually uh, have have some power within organizations and, and make those decisions. Yeah. What do you? Um, you're doing tech reporting now, and then what do you find satisfying about that? Do you want to continue to do that, or do you see yourself transitioning into something else? Like, what's Nate two yeah. or three or four point oh? I don't know where yeah. you are in your. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, what I love about tech reporting is is you know. It's it's kind of like remembering uh, the stuff my dad did, you know, uh, my my living room in high school being filled with dudes sitting at computers and and, and building software web based apps at the time. Um, I mean, they were like cloud before cloud was a thing, right? Um, but um, uh, you know, I I learned how to how to build websites and, and write code by hand, uh, HTML and and uh, JavaScript, and um, at the time some active server pages which nobody uses anymore ASPs and a little bit of CSS I did that through college a little bit as well and I still dabble in that now um, but you know when I started out it was just like well this is something I'm nerdy about and I like and um, I'm a business reporter and here's a niche I could find right but what I think it's getting to for me personally is um, tech is reaching a point of ubiquity uh, that I think is 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 often ignored by most uh tech journalists and what I mean is 
is tech is tech is essentially everywhere um, and it can impact your life in really beautiful or negative ways. And um, basically, uh, if you don't have access to technology, it will hurt your social mobility. It'll hurt your educational attainment. It can, I think, increasingly is going to lead to class divisions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think if you have access to it, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be this for you, but it could be a tool of empowerment and a tool to lift people up off of, out of out of poverty and to and to help them. Uh, and so I think you know, looking at tech through that lens is important to me. And I'm and and uh, I'm not really doing much of that in my reporting today. But it does come out sometimes, right? Like I'm reminded of the um, the Twitter harassment article that you wrote. Yeah. About how the guy who basically was like harassing leslie jones got banned and yeah uh, we were talking earlier about how there's like um, a need to kind of check people like that that do have this crazy influence yep but then at the same time do we really need to pay attention to just to some random user with like four followers or something yeah <laughs> yeah what, what does that mean these are real questions that are affecting people's lives right i mean um you know, uh, one of the things that, and I, I spoke with some folks from Twitter, and I spoke with some folks uh, from different universities who study these sorts of things. And um, you know, uh, one thing that, and Twitter's done a lot to improve their their reporting of harassment. And Can you talk about that a little, just so. Oh yeah, yeah. So so basically, uh, Leslie Jones uh, was uh, being harassed right after Ghostbusters came out on Twitter. And one of the people leading the the uh, the wave of harassment towards her was a a blogger for for Breitbart News. He was actually a, a tech tech reporter slash editor, right? You know, he was leading some harassment, and basically the 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 wave of folks that he was championing um, were sending things that were claiming she was illiterate, were uh, comparing her to uh, apes and gorillas. Um, really terrible sexist and racist and really ugly things. And, um, and yeah, in a, in a somewhat unprecedented move uh, for someone of that level of influence, because he's a very popular guy, yeah. um, Twitter banned him for life. Uh, and uh, that was a pretty big deal. Um, so, yeah, in the course of my reporting a story about this, about, like, you know, what a problem this is for Twitter and what they're doing about it. And like, like I said, they think they're doing a lot. You know, one of the things I came across was a lot of people were saying that, uh, well, there are all, all of these tools out there and Twitter's doing everything it can. Twitter is still sometimes a really crappy place to be if you're a person of color or a woman, or especially if you're a celebrity of color who happens to be a woman. Um, like, <laughs> Your name like, is Leslie uh, Jones. <laughs> you know? I mean, goddamn, man. They, they, you know, it's been brutal. It's been brutal. The people have been going after her, and I, I think it's, it's sad and unfair. Um, but... Um, but yeah, these are things that are real, real life for a lot of folks. Um, I mean, I you know, I don't know how it is for you guys, but I have friends on Instagram who aren't even celebrities. They're just pretty women. And uh, the comments that they get yeah. sometimes are just like insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, there's there, there there's lots of layers to this. But the fact of the matter is, is this is this is real life. And this is this is um this is something that, that affects a lot of people. So I'm trying to like look for some of those kind of stories that That's really, really good. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Kind of look at that intersectionality of because yeah. of, of, you know what we're doing together online, whether we like it or not, is we are creating culture in real time. I think and and the stuff that we do, the conversations we have on on social media and all that um, that we're having together, um, 
this is this is our uh, intellectual space as as ugly and as 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 yeah. ridiculous and dumb as it could be sometimes <laughs> it's our right? town square it's it our is. intellectual <laughs> space it's everything yeah. it is man yeah. you know this is this is where we're learning together and 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 creating some kind of discourse and and some kind of world and there are real world impacts on that too so that's the kind of stuff i'd like to get into um you know i still really believe in video i'm, I'm i love doing that kind of stuff i'm really excited to see like you know where virtual reality uh goes with journalism uh in general i just think there's a need for that type of coverage that looks at technology not necessarily just as a business story um but really looks at it as um as like a lens to tell stories about how people live and and the sort of laws that are being made and the sort of decisions that are that are taking place by the powers that be uh that affect all of us um and um you know, that's something that, that I think about a lot. I also just think like in general, I'd like to see more sort of stuff, whether I'm a part of it or not, um, more news organizations that really kind of push themselves to think of new ways to tell stories. Um, I mean, for the most part, a lot of stuff that's out there is, is essentially like the same kind of uh, newspaper style paradigm or the video sort of things that exist, um, you know, are kind of, uh, uh, variations on like what television journalism used to be well what do you think about um just the the buzzfeedization of content and mm-hmm. basically you know you know listicles and uh yeah. you know right now basically you know the the buzzfeed slash aj plus sort yeah. of like one minute video text so you don't have to have your headphones on yeah um, i think that's i think i think those specific one minute videos that are heavy in text um are an, are an interesting and compelling style because there are a lot of people who literally want to like look at something and they they don't have headphones and they want to look on their phone so it's smart I think it's one of the few things that I've seen that really feels like okay throwing away everything else that we know about how to tell a story journalistically uh, if someone's just looking at their phone what would they what would they want to see and what would be compelling yeah. um, so that that makes sense to me now you know it's not the future of all video and and everything like that and of journalism as a whole. But it's one idea that makes a ton of sense. Um, journalism's always been full of lots of different ideas. You know, there have been you know, you know, brief like one paragraph stories. You know, there have been like wire services that sent out just headlines. Um, there have been you know, um, short, medium, and long stories. You know. Sorry. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Uh, and there's always been, you know, like newspaper stories versus magazine stories versus right. books that are nonfiction. You know, to me, it's all journalism, right? There's been radio uh, stories. Now there's podcasts. Um, there's been television news. There's been documentary films. Uh, it's never been just one thing, right? right. So, um, but I don't think enough newsrooms are asking that question of, you know, which I think this one minute video with the text kind of thing does ask is if someone is just consuming news on their phone, uh, what is it gonna look like? And what do they wanna read and what do they wanna see? Um, you know, a magazine style article, which I love and I would love to write a hell of a lot more of, someone's probably not gonna thumb through that entire thing, you know, on their phone while yeah. online for Starbucks. Maybe they'll do it on their couch when they're after, after the end of a long yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, what but, I do, anytime I see a story like that, I just Instapaper it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then at, at night when I get in bed, I just open Instapaper and I read the longer form stuff. Yeah. There's no way like, you know, I sit down and read something like that in the day unless I'm doing like a public transit or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly been interesting watching that take shape, especially through Facebook. Yeah. 
just because that seems to be the the general aggregator for most people at this point. For a lot of folks, it is. Um, you know, yeah, for a lot of Latinos. I think actually it is. I mean, if you yeah, look, if you know. look at, there's lots of data on this. I can't remember any numbers off the top of my head, but Latinos uh, and people of color in general, we consume almost more on social media than any any other groups, yeah. especially on Twitter uh, and Facebook. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're huge, and this is this is like this is. Black Twitter. Black Twitter is a thing, man. Yeah. Black Twitter, Twitter is a thing. This is what I. This goes back to kind of what we were talking about with voting. Is um, we we are mainstream. We are huge. We have that power, and 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 I don't think we always necessarily realize that or see that, right? Um, and and together collectively, push for more things. Um, that that tell our stories and that include us, right? Um, I mean, just look at like the Fast and the Furious movies, man. Like every time those come out, like those are, like the number one movies, and yeah, yeah. it's just because people of color are going, and we love seeing, and we're included in those films, you know, whether you like them or not. Like they have a hella diverse cast, you know what I'm saying? And, like um, we we show up uh, for for when we're included and when we're not, and I think given that we 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 can push for more inclusion, you know? Yeah, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, about trying to figure out a way to work like within the system or whatever that means. And uh, it's interesting too, to see, um, you know, people that are kind of like, um, kind of like hardcore, like, uh, Chicano activists, like online that can sometimes like, like, are they pushing for like to start over from scratch, you know, which is, it's, I guess it is doable, but it's, you're making it really hard. Whereas if you're, actually trying to, um, you know, work within the system to make sure that the people at the top after a career's, career's worth of time has the power to start hiring more people of color, make it more diverse. It just, um, uh, yeah, you know, I just, I, I always looking at the kind of reactionary stuff and, and how do you like incorporate it into something that's actually going to be like meaningful, like yeah. You know, like in 50 years or. Yeah. Well, I think I think, you know, I, I was a Mexican-American studies major at college. Right. Um, Mexican-American studies, Chicano studies exists because people in the community push for that curriculum to be developed and be included in what is the mainstream a university. Right. Um, uh, the university didn't just come up and say, hey. Do you want to do you want to learn about yourself? This is great. There's so much, you know, there's so much history and culture and literature and art and man, y'all have done a lot. Like actually, um, uh, the reason why that had to exist is because if you just study history or if you just study American politics or whatever it is, they don't, they don't talk about us. You know what I'm saying? So we had to create that. So I think you can create that. Now, I think the question, I think one of the important questions is, is given that there is a massive audience uh, of Latinos and of, you know, black people and of Asian people and all these different things, um, eventually there's going to be some sort of product to sell us, right? Uh, Fox News has Fox News Latino. You know what I'm saying? Uh, NBC had NBC Latino uh, uh, for a while. Uh, uh, ABC and Univision got together and started Fusion, right? Um, uh, so, you know, these things exist, and they're going to exist because there's something to sell us, right? Um, BET uh, exists because there's an audience for it, right? So I think um, if, if, you know, if we don't, if the things are going to get created for us or not. So it's like, yep. do we create it ourselves or do we create it within the mainstream under their umbrella? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, I think there's, there's different answers and there's different routes, but if, 
this is something that we've been doing forever. I mean, um, you go into San Francisco, um, there's a, a, a different like community newspapers in the mission that that cover the mission and cover Latinos because the mainstream publications weren't. You go to L.A. Um, and there's there are community newspapers in East L.A. and Inglewood and South L.A. and that cover the black community and cover the Latino community because the L.A. Times still doesn't cover it maybe as much as it should. Um, you know, no disrespect to the LA Times. I love it, and I'm a proud alum, and and it's near and dear to my heart. But um, you know, I I've never worked at a single place that I felt like uh, has has covered everything, you know, maybe uh, the way that it should, especially when it comes to communities of color. So, um, you know, it's going to get created. So I'm down for the for the you know folks who just want to say screw it, let's create our own shit. And I'm down for the people who like myself are right now inside of a mainstream organization and trying to be a part of the mainstream storytelling and yeah. and you know I, like I said I think there needs to be a little bit of both um, I'd like I'd like to see more folks though uh, communities of color um, women uh, uh, LGBT communities uh, getting out there and starting more new media stuff I'd like to see more stuff like this madre I'd like to see more stuff um, you know like that I mean you know BuzzFeed's great and BuzzFeed's actually killing it on like Latino coverage. Um, Hold down the motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> BuzzFeed's, BuzzFeed's actually covering it and uh, yeah. ki- killing it in their coverage of Latinos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think one of the best young uh, political reporters in the country right now is a, a Latino guy, Adrian Carasquillo, who's at BuzzFeed um, and a friend of mine. But um, you know they're gonna they're gonna do it either way. So it's just like at the end of the day. You know who who's getting the richest off of this is to a certain extent is it going to be not us it's not us yeah not at the you moment. Know? <laughs> you know? um, but the audience is there and there's there's yeah. and and the reason that these things exist is because there's money to be made behind them not to sound cynical and stuff like that so yeah you can't yeah I mean very quickly I think you learn very quickly if you try to start an endeavor like this that you can't do it for free just because it's so yeah. time intensive well right? i got i got bills to pay you yeah. know what i'm saying no, and so do you pay, right yeah. so it's like yeah. i you know i'm trying to get a living wage and uh and i think uh you, you you know you can't have a business that that doesn't make money so um you know i think there are ways to do all these things and accomplish all those goals you know i feel like a lot of the yeah let's just call it journalism online on facebook specifically and twitter i guess um i feel like everything is being molded so that the message is as extreme or as like oh my god you've got to click on this you know yeah and and i and and i don't know if i don't think it is though it's a lot more crazier because it's an election year but i feel like it's been trending this way even before the election and just purely because you want the most clickable you want the most whatever you know and buzzfeed i think has a lot I will blame it a lot on. I put a lot of the blame on something like BuzzFeed, just and and that's you know a lot of the A to B testing they yeah. they they done because it is purely there is no sense like they do like I've read about you know they do the twenty five captions they yeah. test them da 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 whatever fucking works works right yeah, yeah. so a, a lot of the robotization of that if you want to call it that and and it tends to just be like the most crazy. Yeah. title or whatever and, and i'm i'm actually kind of really growing sick of it like i'm like i feel like unsubscribing from things because i'm like even though sometimes it actually is interesting content i'm just like this is just fucking out of control yeah, yeah. like yeah well you know 
I, I think that's something that's been around for a long time too. You know, before it was BuzzFeed, it was the Huffington Post with yeah. that complaint. Before that, it was, you know, it was cable television news. It's like, yeah. does this really need to be breaking, you know, and like the dramatic music every time yeah. Wolf Blitzer comes on screen or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> not to mention like all the stuff that Fox News, you know, and, sure. and, and, and before that it was, you know, shock jock, uh, you know, radio guys. and. But that's entertainment. Well, well, yeah, but a lot of people get their news there too, still, right? Sure. Um, and now, I mean, sure. this is this, this is actually a good question. You know, like Matt Lauer just uh, hosted oh, yeah, this yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> is he a journalist? Is he not? You know, like I guess it depends on who you ask, right? But uh, and before that, you know, it was um, sensational headlines uh, uh, in newspapers. Um, you know, so it's 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 an old complaint. I think BuzzFeed's just maybe the latest example because they're having the most success with it. Um, I think what's important yeah. to remember with BuzzFeed is that they have a news arm and they have an entertainment arm. And a lot of times these listicles, not always, but a lot of times are the entertainment arm, right? But newspapers back in the day, what got me started reading newspapers uh, at first uh, was I wanted to read about sports and I wanted to read the comics. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So what's the difference between running a, a Garfield comic or having, a, you know, uh, 25 gifts uh, that show that, you know, Tinkerbell is the best of all the whatever Disney characters. Or because whatever she is. is. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if yeah. and, and at the end of the day, for me, if those things yeah. help pay those bills for those working journalists, then then I'm then sure. I'm interested in, in that. Now, that being said. Hell, yeah, it gets it gets exhausting and hell, yeah, you're like, damn, I want to unsubscribe and like you know, this is a joke and no one's taking it seriously. And, um, I think that's fair. I think, I think that part of the reason why we feel that way is because we're being so inundated with all of this BS all the time. Yeah. And there's, it's like, it's hard to escape it. It's like the only way to escape it is literally to not use Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and, you know, like there's so many videos on Snapchat yeah. that it's hard for me to find the videos my homies actually send because there's <laughs> like, you know, a different Kardashian's ass at the top of Snapchat from the Daily Mail, like on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, what the? You hell? cannot not watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it is what it is. So it's like, yeah. It's. I think it's a fair complaint. It's a totally fair complaint. I think. Um, what you know, what I think, what I'd like to see is, I think there are different new new business models appear right so if you're trying to support a newsroom that has hundreds of journalists and you're putting out hundreds of stories a day like the washington post or the wall street journal or buzzfeed um then uh then you know you have to reach as broad an audience as possible right um because those ads are what pay those bills and support that work and um if you can go to an advertiser and say look at all these eyeballs i have you should put your stuff in front of uh, uh, our audience that's that's what that's about right um, where if you know I'd like to see more stuff with like smaller smaller uh, more engaged audiences and some more like you know pub publications that are maybe a little more thoughtful and maybe a little more niche and yeah. um, you know so I don't think we see enough of those right now but yeah. I think they're I think one of the things we're learning is that clicks and page views don't necessarily mean loyalty right right and uh, and and it's it's not a bad game uh, business model, whatever for BuzzFeed or whatever. But, you know, I'd like to see more folks, um, you know, who are who are working on maybe quieter, more thoughtful coverage with high, more highly engaged audiences. And, and I think if, if you can develop a, a, a deeper relationship, um, 
I think you can build a successful media company on that sort of thing. And I don't really yeah. feel like I see a lot of that these days. No, I don't think you do. Yeah. And, yeah. and well, I think, indivi- I think there's space I, for that. I think individuals are doing it. And I think people yeah. are like Dan Rather, for example, yeah. is now basically a fucking Facebook journalist. Yeah. Basically. And it's amazing yeah. like to see his stuff. It's very thoughtful. Oh, yeah. It's just his voice. And he's, you know, I don't know if he's. Because he just started doing this like a few yeah. months ago, right? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. like, holy shit, I'm 81. I could still be a journalist yeah, yeah. with my phone, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's a good point. That's, I think this is one of the most important things, you know, when we're talking about, like, the future media and, like, what's happened all these things is, is you know, back in the day to, to get something out, you had to have access to a television station, right. you know? Um, you had to have a printing press. Uh, you know, the only people who could afford that sort of stuff were, were you know, rich, rich folks, right? Nowadays, all the tools that I use to, to tell stories every day at the Wall Street Journal are largely available to anybody who has internet access. You know what I'm saying? And um, we're sitting in a fucking garage right now. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, so that, that's huge. That's incredible. That's powerful. Um, now, the difference uh, uh, for a place like the Wall Street Journal versus someone who's on their own is we have hundreds, uh, well, you know, more than 100 years worth of reputation and, and you know to stand on and 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 hopefully some credibility um, to to maintain right going forward. Um, you know, BuzzFeed has only been around like what 12, 15 years, something like that. I don't even think that long. Maybe, Maybe not that 10. long. And um, and so they don't have as long of a reputation, um, but uh, they also are just getting to to hopefully create something new and and that is free of. Of a con- of a concept of like this is what this is. This has you know more than a hundred years worth of identity. This is what it is, and then here's this other place. It's like well, let's figure it out. You know, yeah. so um, I th- I think there can be space somewhere kind of in the, in the, in the for these these smaller things though that we're talking about that I think would be important. But the fact that everyone has access to the same tools essentially yeah. is is pretty powerful. The, the yeah, from what we've been the the point we're getting at at this Madre is where. You know, I think initially, I you know, we had a bigger vision for this of you know raising money, getting a lot of people to collaborate and yeah. to be contributors in this thing, and it was very difficult to raise money. Now, like Sammy was saying earlier when we were offline you know, before we started the the podcast, um, is that you know we're not like switching course, but we're realizing okay, this is going to be smaller, but it's still very powerful. Yeah, and it's going to be more you know like. Let's figure out who our like thousand loyal followers are. Yeah, and you could create a business out of that. It's still challenging. The challenging thing I would say to all of this, because the tech, the tech is not challenging. No. It all exists. It's all basically ubiquitous. It's all very low cost. Yep. Um, the distribution is there. Yep. Um, so the challenging part is monetizing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like who's your sales team? Yep, yep. And how do you how do you really try to you know have like something steady out of your audience? Yeah. And whether that's a pay model or whether that's swag or whether that's advertising. Yeah. You know, so advertising is really tough when you have a, a niche audience because it's obviously you need you know millions of views or yeah. whatever to get anything yeah. worth it. Yeah. So I, I'd say like that's like the most challenging part of it is figuring out how to monetize because everything else is there and there's a ton of hobbyists who do it. Yeah. Yeah. Bloggers and podcasters or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean you know it's uh I guess I, I think it's ultimately a good problem to have you know yeah. I mean um you know look at like Chance the Rapper or Lil B or something like that right I mean these guys. <laughs> You know, these guys uh, had small niche audiences online and they're giving their music away for free and they make money off of touring. Um, yeah. So it's like f- 
creating that audience and then finding some way to engage with them so that you can pay your bills and sure. like make a living. Those right. Good examples. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, not that long ago, those dudes would not have been able to have a career. It's like the only option would be to sign to a mainstream label. Yeah. Right. You know, now, now, you know, there's dudes like, you know, I mean, like, you know, look at Atmosphere or whatever um, from Rhymesayers. They've been doing it forever. You know, are those guys rich? Well, maybe not. But like, it seems like they're having a decent life and living comfortably. Right. Yeah. Probably making a living yeah. wage, if not a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody gets to be Jay-Z or Kanye West. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But being Chance Rapper would be pretty fucking dope. For sure. Yeah. You know I wonder if there's a um, tendency for... Um, Latinos to more like uh, easily kind of pounce on or criticize anyone that's trying to sort of like pimp out the culture, if you will. If there's like a, I, you know, if there's like backlash more than there is with like you know someone like I guess an extreme example like Taylor Swift. You know she's yeah. kind of like this mega pop star, yeah. who I mean you can argue I guess she's appropriating a lot of things, but yeah, just to um, but when you see someone in your own community trying to do that with like the culture that you know that everyone can relate to do are people like no you can't do that that's whack i'm not going to support you well, we you know we've been pimped out and and <laughs> and dragged through the mud so much that it's like it's i think it's fair to feel protective you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. to a certain extent sure sure um, you know when before like our our biggest you know cultural icons you know in mainstream you know were what like eric estrada eric estrada <laughs> You know, Edward James Olmos, who's like in everything, and then like Speedy Gonzalez or something like that. Like, what do you the got? Right? Well, now, yeah, 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 now yeah, the, the age of the internet, the thing that works is anything Cholo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys saw Cholo Fit. Everybody's talking about Cholo Fit right now. Everybody's so. talking Cholo Fit, Cholo's Try, uh, Lil Moco, you know. Yeah. What, what is his Cholo called? Uh, whatever. But, you know, I think, I think um, it's okay to be protective of culture to maintain that culture. I think it's important to recognize that culture is fluid and doesn't stay the same forever. Um, but it, it's ours and I think we can we can have some say and I think it's okay to, to criticize you know I, I don't think um, not all criticism is necessarily bad I mean it means people are paying attention and care yeah. to a certain extent um, and you know I, I think it's important to maintain um, and to nurture and to protect the culture that you have whatever that culture might be you know what I'm saying uh, um, because there are lots of examples of folks who assimilate to a mainstream idea and lose their culture in the process. I mean, just talk to, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of white people who you ask them like, what, you know, what is your background? Like they'll ask you all day, like, what's your background? Yeah. And where are you from? I'm like, I'm from, I'm from Phoenix or I'm from LA or I'm from where, no, no, where are you from? You know? And it's like, well, where are you from? They're like, oh, I'm white. It's like, well, that, you can't, yeah. It's like, you know, wait, 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 what kind of white though? Cause like white isn't even really a thing. There's like, there's like so many kind. you know what I'm saying? It's like, are you, are you I'm pink dog? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, are, are, you know, it's like, are, are, you know, are you German? Are you Norwegian? Are you Scottish? Are you, you know, it's like French or, you know, and, uh, you know, and like, there's beautiful, beautiful history and culture uh, that that gets lost in, in assimilating too much, right? I think yeah. so. I think some assimilation, you know, to a mainstream idea that, like happens naturally, but I think it's important to protect protect the culture that you got too. So yep. yeah, yeah. I know. think we're, we always talk about the the sort of the hip hop kind of equivalent or yeah. like the. Hip-hop, rock and roll, jazz, sure. like every popular art form. Right, right. Especially here in America where yeah. it's, um, it can just, it, in terms of hip-hop specifically, you know, yeah. it's um, yeah. been like 30 years and it's kind of, it's like a billion dollar industry now. Yep. 
whereas it started off, you know, I guess. Started off yeah, I think, I think you know? like, what he's getting at is that, like, we, we've, our thesis, if you will, for this madre and yeah. for this sort of culture is that yeah. eventually it's going to have the power that hip-hop culture has, yeah. and white kids are going to be quoting shit in Spanish or in whatever bastardized spocha sort of shit <laughs> that we, we, we end up at. And, and so there's not only, like, a cultural case study to be made of this, but also a business case yeah. to be made for it because yeah. the numbers are certainly there to support it from a demographic standpoint, and the culture is rich enough that you know, people dig it, yeah. you know, and, and I've, the challenging thing I think that, that Sammy is also pointing out is that, you know, once you start kind of playing in this space entertainment-wise or, you know, you know satire-wise, like, you get blowback from people who are just like, oh, how dare you do this or whatever. Yeah. And our standpoint has always been, like, nothing is sacred. We don't really give a fuck. Well, if, you, if, you're, if you're doing good comedy, like, you kind of have to have that standpoint. Yeah. You kind of really yeah. do. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, Louis C.K. regularly talks about like abortions and really fucked up shit with yeah, kids and things like that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But he's, but he's, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but he's, but he's, you know, but he's hilarious. You know, I no, I think that's right. I think it's a good thesis. Yeah, it's, but it, it, it can be a little. I think it can be a little frustrating when you're actually in the dirt yeah. because you yeah. deal with bullshit, like people saying stuff, and we're just like, just chill, like whatever, and like. You know, for us, like, that's also one of the reasons why, like, personally, like, you know, these big organizations, whether it's Nalip or whatever, yeah, yeah. I just don't even care because you get a lot of, yeah. you get a lot of that sort of feedback. Well, you know, yeah. I don't really want to represent my people like this. Yeah. Like, I've had meetings with executives at not BuzzFeed, but similar places where we're pitching stuff. And they're yeah. like, we really don't want to represent Latinos like this. And I'm like, you're yeah. not even Latino, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> like, and what is, yeah. what does that even mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I like, you know, for better or worse, I like kind of playing like in our isolated garage here and doing yeah. whatever the fuck we want. Cause There's some freedom to that, right? Um, but, you know, if, as you guys keep doing this and, and if you find the success that I hope you, that I hope you guys do and that I think you deserve, um, you're just going to get more and more and more and more of those haters, man. Like you're getting more and more of that stuff. I mean, to a certain extent, hopefully that means you're catching on and doing something well, but it's like... Um, you know, I mean, like, look at, uh, God, there's so many examples. Like, um, you know, I guess recently, you know, Rodney Harrison, who's like this NFL analyst, um, was saying, like, Colin Kaepernick isn't black enough to be doing the protest he's doing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like. Yeah, that's a good example. It, you know, there's 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 so many examples of that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot. You know, hey, Eric Estrada made it. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if he's a punchline to some people, you know what I'm saying? Or. Or, uh, or, you know, there's lots of people, you know, who, who, who it's like, did so-and-so sell out to get to where they exactly. are? And, you know, exactly, yeah. you know, um, but, you know, those are all, uh, all, all things you're going to have to live with if you're going to be at a high level yeah. and if you're going to be somewhat of a public figure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, what would be nice is if we, again, if we have so much diversity and so many different representations of Latinos that, no one can come to you and say, well, we don't want to represent Latinos like you're representing Latinos. It's like th there's so many different representations of 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 white culture, you know, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, you know, gangster movies and heist movies, you know, where, you know, where all those people are white or it's like, you know, uh, you know, the white teacher going into the hood and helping all the like, you know, people of color, you know, the, you know, Columbus singer, whatever the fuck, you know, it's like um, that that those conversations of like, are we representing white people the right way? They don't happen that much, right? And that's because they're represented everywhere all the time, all day, right? But we have so few spaces that 
that those conversations are fair, but I'd love, I'd love to see it get to a point where there's so many different representations that it's hard to have that argument, right? Yeah. But we're super, super far away from that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. What's it like for you guys? I mean, that's a lot of pressure. That's, that's not easy to live with, you know? I mean, you guys are, you know... Um, C-grade internet uh, <laughs> celebs. D, maybe? Yeah. yeah I mean, it hasn't gotten out of control, for sure. Um, but... Yeah, it's funny, this is slightly off topic, but I think it's funny that we're kind of using the word like pocho freely, yeah. whereas, you know, people like that's like an insult to some people, you know, they don't like being called that because it literally means like dried fruit, you know, yeah. or, or, or yeah. rotten fruit, yeah. right? Like that you're tainted somehow because yeah. you're not like totally pure, yeah. which I think is fucking hilarious. And <laughs> yeah. I know I like, want to make fun of it, but yeah. but yeah. it's like, um, yeah, it's just uh, this kind of similar kind of conversation of... Um, of what's pure and if you're uh, representing the culture properly you know, these always rules or whatever but um yeah i think ultimately if you make good content and there's going to be something that someone relates to whether it's like a character that yeah. they, that's ultimately what's kind of what we're talking about here at least yeah. in this space of entertainment of creating stuff is like you people want to see characters that whether it's like their uncle their aunt or someone that they know in their lives that whether they like them or not you know yeah, you, those are yeah. the best characters the ones yeah. that you fucking hate yeah but yeah. it's like those are missing unfortunately and they um, are yeah so um, we're, yeah. we're clearly not the first people that like you know not that we've said that but obviously like lalo you know alcarez yeah. and those yeah. guys i mean his yeah. whole fucking business the whole website exactly. and everything yeah. is exactly. pocho.com yeah. right yeah. so it's yeah. something people yeah. have struggled with for a while for sure. and you know border town came out that show that he worked on uh with yeah. gustavo ariano um from the uh, uh oc, OC weekly yeah. uh, i mean those guys are amazing and hilarious and uh and you know there were a lot of questions like are they representing latinos right exactly. you know yeah. are they selling out you know um they worked on the show but they didn't necessarily create it and it wasn't necessarily theirs and Exactly. You know, right. and then it, it got canceled after one season, you know. They didn't have the support. Um I, I thought the show was pretty funny overall. Yeah. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Right. I really I really liked it. Yeah. But um you know, there yeah, you guys definitely aren't the fa- the first to face these questions and you won't be the last. <laughs> sure, but sure, sure. it doesn't make it any less difficult because you're living with it on a daily yeah. basis, right? Yeah. You know? Exactly, yeah. Cool. Like guilt, cry myself to. <laughs> but come on, like guilt is is part of being Latino. <laughs> you know, you like. No, I'm joking. I don't yeah, really give yeah, a shit. Yeah. Like I said, like, I'm just yeah. like, and again, for better or worse, I think because because yeah. part of me, like you know, we should probably be trying to collaborate more, and we should yeah. probably be trying to network more, and all that sort of shit. But yeah. it just for me, it's it just. I'm like I came from the background as an independent filmmaker, yeah. you know, yeah. and I had a short at Sundance, and then I had a feature that I wrote that I tried to get made, and I yeah. took meetings, and yeah. I did all that, and yeah. I was just like, this is fucking frustrating. People yeah. don't get it, yeah. you know. So yeah. I said, fuck it, let's start doing stuff online. Yeah. And I think some people even were probably like, oh, what is he doing? He's like taking a step back. Like he yeah. wants to make internet videos now. Yeah. Like he should yeah. be working on a feature. And when I run into people, even though everyone knows I'm doing this mother now, yeah. like people are like, what happened with your feature? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm like. Motherfucker, like nobody wants to fund that, you know. Yeah, I can't make it. Yeah, it's it's sitting right there, you know. Yeah, the script yeah, is yeah. right there. Yeah. It's good to go. You got some money, motherfucker. Yeah. No, yeah. shut the fuck up there, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, you know, you're always gonna get like, um, I I don't know. I guess like w- w- the way I started the thread is just because like I think like doing the stuff online and it, it just gives us more control. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, and aggregating an audience and ev- yeah. eventually owning that audience is, I think, where the eventual power is. Yeah, 
and it's a lot more work obviously it is a lot more work but i think it could pay off i mean um you know the chance rapper examples yeah. little b examples you know what frank ocean recently did yep. uh uh you know look at robert rodriguez you know what i'm saying like he's he's been outside on his own doing his own thing for a long 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 time right uh and then he's found his own niche and he's and he's super successful and not everybody loves the stuff that he puts out or the way that he but now he owns his own tv network with el rey and all that stuff like i, I know very well yeah i mean there are there are there are there are ways to succeed uh on your own in an independent way um and uh you know i don't know i i think it's cool i i, I love what you guys are out there doing and I'm excited to see where it goes. All right, give us some more good good thoughts because we felt bad about ourselves. No, <laughs> no. I was gonna say like we could just end talking about um, go back to journalism specifically yeah. and and your space and like what do, what do you say to somebody who's young who wants to be a journalist? Like how I know you talked about your background and I think yeah. that's probably the best thing you could you could uh, that's that's the best sort of story just hearing about what other people went through. But yeah. you know somebody who who wants to be a journalist now like what are some resources? Um, you know, just like quick advice for somebody who's looking to get into it in yeah. these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, the one I guess the, the place where I try to start with folks is just that, um, you know, more people are reading the work that we do than ever before. The audience is bigger than it's ever been. Uh, there are more, and, and and that's largely because of the internet, right? So th- there's always going to be an audience there. Um, you're going to run into like a lot of jaded folks who say like, you know, newspapers are dying or journalism's dying or or, or, you know, it's, it's, it's changing and it's becoming like less serious and whatever. But, um, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think there's, there's, uh, what needs to change are the, are the business models. And like, I'd love it if it was us, you know, our generation who figures that out. It might be the generation after us, the generation after them who, who comes up with some new ways to, to sustain newsrooms and, and, and good journalism. But, um, you know the audience is huge and i just think it's important to remember that like whatever it is that you're doing whatever it is you want to do there's an audience for that um and you can and you can succeed in it um it's not going to be easy you know you got to hustle and grind but um but it's there and you know it's just like anything i think it's like um you just got to you just got to go out and do it i mean journalism is as much of a of a of a trade as anything else you know what i'm saying to a certain extent and it's super subjective. Um, you know what's considered um, the right length for a story, or the right way to tell a story, or the right voice to write a story, changes from publication to publication, and even inside of a, a news organization, from editor to editor, right? Um, so, um, you know, you just got to go out and do it. For sure. You know, I don't know if that's like even like a worthwhile thing. To, <laughs> you know, but but you know, that's like the only. That's just it. Like you just got to go out and do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't like just like, like like what you guys are doing. Like you can't just like be like, well, nobody wants to, nobody wants to make this feature. I guess I'm just gonna give up now. It's like, nah. It's like there's stories to be told. I have some ideas. There's some things I need to get out there. Like let's do it. Right? Sure. Yeah. You know yeah. No, that was certainly the case with with me anyway. We, we, certain people would read the script. I love this. I hope you guys can make it. I don't have any money, but and so you get really good feedback, creative yeah. feedback, but when the powers that be really financial powers and producers and backers and stuff it's like i don't i don't understand this or you know i don't get it so um 
Cool, man. What, what, uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Twitter or any, you wanted to plug NAHA or uh, yeah. anything like that? Yeah, N- NAHJ is NAHJ.org. Uh, you can see the journalism I'm doing at WSJD.com or WSJ.com slash tech, whatever. Um, on all social media, I'm Nate OG. Uh, so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's just, you know, whatever that website is slash Nate OG. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's where, our, where I'm at. Um, so uh, yeah, come come find me. Cool, thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. you being guest number one. Yeah, it's a it's it's an honor. Like I said, it can only, it can only go uphill from here. So you know, way to way to set the bar low. It's gonna it's gonna be really great. This is gonna be a even better uh, podcast in the future. So I'm, no, we no, have, I'm honored to be here, man. We have we have a big you know we, we it's not a huge list because we there's you know we really just I think if there's one common denominator here, it's like people who are smart and who are doing like cool shit. Like, that's the that's the barometer for you know bringing people in. Right on, trying trying to do cool shit. You know, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, hopefully more cool cool shit in the future. So uh, yeah, but yeah, total honor to be here. Appreciate it. Let's go get some lunch. Let's do it. <laughs>